Trish Porter Topmiller knows highs and lows. Highs as a 1988 U.S. Olympian in the high jump, former world record holder for women age 40 through 44 in the high jump, and multiple-time U.S. National and World Masters champion. But lows, having lost her husband of 20 years and 15-year-old son Connor in a plane accident in 2012, and recently lost her father to an addiction-induced suicide. Yeah, it's safe to say Trish has learned a lot through both the highs and the lows. And she's with us today to talk about her new book, specifically about her father, King Here. Trish, welcome to the program. Hi, thank you for having me. I'm excited to be here. Absolutely. There is just a lot to unpack in those few sentences. So <laughs> uh, I, I guess we need to kind of start by learning about your dad and your relationship with him. So um, I grew up, he, he seemed bigger than life. Uh, we had so much fun together, and he really encouraged me in sports. He kind of wanted to see uh, how good an athlete he could have as a daughter. And so I did lots of sports. I was the first girl in Little League Baseball in Northern California and, yeah. um, and went on and, um, to, to get third at state in the high school and in, in high jump. And then I ended up competing for the um, University of Oregon in the high jump. And, and so he just, he was a character. He loved outrageous adventures. So he would, um, and he loved sharing those with people. Uh, so he would, um, one of the things he did was we went to Sturgis, South Dakota on our Harleys. The whole family did. <laughs> and which is kind of a unique thing, I think, for families to do yeah. uh, for a fairly conservative family in some ways. And he um, climbed the Matterhorn. He, um, one of my favorites was he once took a date and he flew them on a private jet from San Francisco to Los Angeles so that they could have dinner um, on the Goodyear blimp flying over the city, uh, Los Angeles city lights. Wow. And I know, which I thought that's a great date. <laughs> that's a very, you know, how do you talk that one? And, and we're recording this on Valentine's Day, no less. <laughs> yes. Yes. So for all those guys out there. <laughs> yeah. Top that, right? Yeah. No kidding. No kidding. Or you could try and top it by he went around the world on the Concord in 26 days, um, uh, which is a supersonic jet. So yeah. that was another. So he's done for some, did some pretty uh, outrageous, fun experiences. And he was in, um, he, we, he didn't grow up uh, being successful financially, but he ended up doing very well as a real estate investor and venture capital. And so became um, very wealthy. And things kind of didn't stay that great, <laughs> did they? <laughs> Tell me, tell me kind of where things went from there. Um, well, so he believed his financial fortress was invincible. Mm. And he looked at me once and said, I have more money than God. And if I lost half my money, I'd still be rich. Wow. And yeah, which is, you know, it was like, oh, that, uh, that statement just stabbed my heart. Mm. You know, that um, he had no need for God. Um, that was, you know, he never went to church. He, you know, not even at Christmas. Um, so he really, um, you know, when you have an attitude like that, it's kind of like, Ooh, you gotta be careful. And then mm. in 2007, 2008, uh, he lost 97% of his money very quickly. 
And, wow. and that was very devastating to everybody. You know, it was just a very sure. fast slide. So, so you think you're impervious to, you know, the wealthy or think they're impervious to losing their money or whatever, but it, it can happen. So your, you know, your dad was a big inspiration for you to be courageous, to to chase your dreams, to do things that are way outside the the boundaries of most of social norms. And yet, you you see this as an adult. You see this man that almost shaking his fist at God. Um, what 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 did that do do in your heart? How, where did that go? It, it I I couldn't could never wrap my brain around it. Because this was a man who, who all my life gave me what we called Chuckisms. Okay, and a Chuckism was a saying that either he made up, he took from somebody else's saying, or he took their saying and tweaked it. And so I would get, you know, when I was in high school at the state championships, when I was going there, he gave me on a slip of paper a quote that said, dream, then go after that dream with sweat and commitment. And I had that piece of paper. I carried that with me for years and years because I loved that quote. I loved that saying. And, and so here was this man who, who it was an encourager and who wanted me to be successful in life and, and do great things and do outrageous things and, and to dream and to dream big. And then here he was. Um, he had lost his money, and with that, then he um, his back started hurting, and so he went to several doctors, and they all prescribed him oxycotton and oxycodone, which is a narcotic, which is addictive, sure. right? Right. And so he all of a sudden would spend 21, 22 hours a day in bed, mm. and and so here was this man who was larger than life, all of a sudden who had given up on life, and for years, he wasn't getting out of bed. And, and this started at the age of 72 years old. Mm. So, so that's the other aspect is you think, you know, you hear about all the Oxycontin and Oxycodone addiction, and you think, you know, kids, you know, you know younger. And, and this is a 72-year-old man who began his addiction at that age. Uh, wow. So I really struggled because as an athlete, uh, I'm health oriented, I'm nutrition oriented, and I wanted to, I wanted to fix him. I wanted to get him better, um, yeah. and I couldn't, I, I couldn't do that. It's a choice that he had to make. And, and this this led into uh, depression and and all kind of other things related to that. Correct. Yeah. Yes, he was depressed. I think when you're spending 21 hours a day in bed that you're depressed. Right, um, sure. And, and he, he did, you know, he did go to a psychologist, but, um, and they had actually switched his medications, his depression, antidepressant medications. So, you know, he did go occasionally, not very often. Um, really part of it, I think, was that he was raised in a home with alcoholic parents. And he never really addressed those issues, mm. you know, earlier in life. And so if those issues might have been addressed through counseling, through some hard um, introspection, you know, maybe the outcome would look differently. Well, now let, let's pause the narrative for just a second. And let me ask you this. Why did you feel like you needed to write this book about your dad? Um. So when he uh, passed away at his funeral, I was speaking, 
And I looked back at his life, and I saw all these amazing things that he had done and um, this amazing character. And then I saw the tragedy and, and, and really the horrific things in his life that looked so devastating to you and to I on the surface yeah. um, and at our core. But then I saw God's hand in it, and I saw these miracles, one after the other, that when you put them all together, it was, um, it was the, you know, kind of the, the puzzle pieces of the box, that, the box top. We never saw that box top of what that mm. picture looked like. And mm. all of a sudden, the picture became clear with God's plan designed for him. And how he made, how it ended up working together for good, as God says he'll do for those who love him and are called according to his purpose. So that was why when I put it together. Tell us some of those miracles. I mean, because, I mean, there's more bad news to be told. I mean, the way that he died is, is tragic, of course. Um, Well, and, 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 and the loss of, you know, my husband of, 20 years and my 15 year old son. Yeah. I mean, this know, all... that I found out. So I was, my daughter was 11 years old and a figure skater and we were trained. She was training in Colorado Springs going back and forth. And I was coming home to Albuquerque um, because the Olympics were starting and I was doing it, some TV and radio interviews. And there on my phone, I see um, channel 13 TV was calling me. And I thought, wow, it's going to be a, you know, it's going to be a busy few days with these interviews. And I pick up the phone and I hear on the other end, a woman's voice say, can you please confirm um, that your husband, Pat Porter's plane uh, went down in Sedona, Arizona? Oh, my gosh. And that's how you learned about it. That's how I heard. Oh, my and, gosh. Um, and, you know, what do you do? You're like, I, I, I couldn't speak. I couldn't think. So I, I pulled the car over and got in the back of the car and I prayed with Shannon. And... At that world, you know, that time my world, you know, it was crushed. Um, my whole, you know, half my guys were gone. My beautiful 15-year-old son who was U.S. national medalist in fencing, my husband of 20 years, two-time Olympian, eight-time national, um, tra- eight-time national cross-country champion. Um, and then my son's friend, Connor Manch, were, were all lost tragically in, a, in, a play, in the plane crash that my husband was the pilot of. And so that was just devastating, obviously. And, um, and yes, there, there, there were many miracles then, you know, after you go from those, as you said, those are some really, uh, some big lows. Um, but well, oh, miracles, absolutely. Yeah, miracles, um, you know, that Shannon and I got through that time, mm. <laughs> frankly. To, to yeah. me, that's just one of them. I had that a you that, that you even got out of bed the next day. That I, and I did not want to. I will tell you, I did not want to get out of bed. And um, I had to because my daughter, since she was a figure skater, they, um, they, she skated in the morning typically. And so we kept her routine because I was told that routine is very good during loss. Mm. And, and so we kept the routine. But I had a friend who said, Trish, um, if, act like if you're going to put your hands up like you're going to pray and take your right hand and, and move it all around. That's your world in your life right now. It's, it's crazy. It's moving all around and it's not steady. But bring that right hand up to your left hand like you're praying and say, I trust you, God. I trust you, God. 
And that's what I clung to um, and lived by. And that's what one of the things that helped get me out of bed each day was because mm. I decided, I chose, I made the choice to trust God during this really difficult time. Now, at what um, point in your life had you, had you started a faith relationship with God? Um, right before college, um, when I was 18, um, I didn't know what I wanted to do with my life. I didn't, I didn't know if I was going to go to school. Um, I was just really in a difficult place. So I went out to a little cabin in the woods with my aunt and uncle and um, 600 square feet with a river running, flowing by it. And I spent the night that night outside and I just looked up and I said, God, I don't know what to do. I don't know what to do. Just take my life and, um, and help me. And the next day I woke up and my aunt and uncle started sharing about Jesus. Mm. And then they, and then they asked me if I wanted to pray to receive Jesus. And I said, you know, I kind of did that last night, but yes, I do. I want to pray to you, you know. <laughs> and, wow. and so that really then, my life, you know, took a turn, took a change then. And I went to college in Oregon and, and um, was plugged in with some good groups of people. So that faith obviously sustained you through this unbelievable tragedy with your husband and your son. And, and then you move even forward and, and you're dealing with your father because t t tell us a little bit about the, the end of his life. So, so looking back the end, the end, and then the miracles that were within that end, um, I ended up four years later meeting um, a wonderful man who loves the Lord, um, James. And, and, and so that's, that the fact that I could be, you know, 54 years old and meeting a man, I mean, I wanted, I wanted a man who loved God, you know, who was kind, who was athletic and, you know, that in and of itself, you know, practically was impossible because the men who are my age and older, they want men, women often who are 20 years younger. Right. Yeah. yeah. And, and, and so um, I married a wonderful man and, and he, we were going out to see my dad and I said, you know, you got to share Jesus with, with my dad. I think you're the one. You're the one. You're a successful <laughs> businessman. He lost his wife. Um, and, and so he understood pain. And so as my dad said, you know, you can't, I miss my wife. You don't understand. He couldn't say that to James. You know, James could say, yeah, I know your pain. I've been there. Mm -hmm. and, 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 and so with that then, he, my dad ended up, my brother finally convinced him to start going to church. And so they went to church. Um, and, and there on the second row of, the, of church was who I call an angel. His name was Michael. Okay, right, Michael. And he would worship God with all his being. So he would sing with his arms raised and his body moving. And my dad was inexplicably drawn to him. Mm. And and because usually you got to think about a man who never has gone to church, 82 years old, and a person is raising their hands in praise, that's uncomfortable usually. Right. That's uncomfortable for somebody. But my dad was drawn to him. And so he, in the middle of the week, would say, Chuck, are we going to church uh, mm. this week? Because I want to get there because I want to sit behind uh, Michael, my friend. And, and, um, my dad was never early for anything. My dad was late. He lived on King Standard Time his whole life, which was two hours late. <laughs> oh, he goodness. Yeah. 
he wanted to get there early. And, and, and so that, um, that I just thought was incredible. Mm. And, and so then James, um, when we went to visit him and it was his time to share the Lord, he decided to do his Bible study in, in my dad's kitchen. And now in the morning, now you never know if my dad is going to, you know, get up, you know, till one in the afternoon. And this is at nine in the morning, but my dad did. And he got up and James started talking to my dad and, and my dad doesn't talk for very long with people unless it's about business. Mm. He really has a very short attention span and they were talking for a period of time. And then my dad is drawing closer and closer to James. And all of a sudden my dad says, hang on, let me go get my hearing aid. <laughs> so he couldn't hear my, you know, he, he wasn't hearing quite everything my, my James was saying. And, and so, um, but dad ended up talking to him and asked him and said, if you were to die today and go to heaven uh, and you're at the Pooley gate and they asked, why should we let you in? What would you say? And my dad said, because I'm a good person. Mm-hmm. And James said, well, Chuck, um, the, the problem is, is um, whose standard, who, who, who standard are you living by? God is perfect. And that's our standard. To get into heaven, you need to be perfect. And, and Chuck, have you ever told a lie? <laughs> and my dad went, yeah, I have. Well, that is an example of the sin that separates us from God. And, and the wages of sin is death. But thankfully, God sent Jesus um, to die on the cross and raise again for us. And so if you believe in him, um, you will be saved. And that's how we can get to heaven is the standard because God's standard is perfection, but he sent Jesus um, on our behalf. And, and so then ultimately he ended up asking them if he wanted to pray to receive Jesus. And my dad, um, the second time, not the first time, ended up saying yes. And so and they how, prayed together. And how old was he at that time? 80, 82. Wow. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. So, um, you know, so you're never too old, you know, never too old, too rich or anything to meet Jesus. That's, you know, the king hears the, the premise of the book, um, because really you can be addicted. You can be, you know, we think the problem is we think you're too old. We think not that person. Mm-hmm. God would never say that person. But who are we to say? That's like, to me, that's a challenge for God. And God's like, okay, yeah, watch me, you know. I can do that. Now, tell me a little bit about the addiction-induced suicide that your dad endured. So, you know, I think the, the way we want then the salvation to look like, I mean, there were, there were several changes within him where he got up and went to church all on his own with nobody there. You know, his Bible, he was reading his Bible. But he was an 82-year-old who um, really at the time that, he accepted the Lord, ha- had no hope. And we would want him to be able to say, okay, I'm going to, you know, I'm going to start living life and having hope. And unfortunately, you know, we really, I think the error was we didn't have anybody really come alongside him and guide him. And, um, and so he ended up, um, unfortunately, um, several months later, um, ended up overdosing on his opiates um, mm-hmm. on, you know, on purpose. 
um, which just, you know, was tragic. He was doing so much better and, you know, we thought everything was okay. Um, but so the thing is, in a moment of weakness, you know, there, there are mental health issues and depression. Like I said, they had just changed his medication. So in a moment of weakness, um, you know, we all sin and we all fall short. Um, so he did take his life, which was very sad. Um, but we have the hope that we'll see him again. Of course, certainly. He believed in Jesus. And, and really, that's uh, the end was happened before the end. <laughs> the end happened <laughs> yeah. when when he gave his life to Christ at 82 years old after after shaking his fist at God. Um, yes, that's such a such a beautiful picture. I mean, there's yeah. so much, Trish. What, what what do you hope people walk away from your book uh, with? What what message do you hope brings clear? Um, you know, I I I'm pretty positive they'll enjoy it, but I want them to to just to believe we have a big God who mm. can do miracles and and not to write people off. And then also, really important is to um, make sure you're prepared for sharing Christ with other people. You know, that's one of our callings for all of us as believers is is to be prepared to share Jesus with others. And so it gives you steps. If you go to my website, trishportertopmiller.com, there are steps there, seven steps for sharing Jesus to being prepared. And you can get those, download those or Chuckisms also. But I want, I want people to be encouraged and, um, and inspired to be able to share their faith. And, and you, as one that has dealt with so much personal loss, wh- what do you tell folks uh, how to walk with people through those those things in their life, those times when there when there's loss? Uh, you know, how would you be a good friend to someone who was grieving, like you um, grieved? But that's such a great question because I think so often people don't know what to do. Um, I would encourage them to come alongside, and it depends, obviously, how close a friend. Sometimes just being there and being silent with someone and just weeping with them. Um, maybe it's helping with a meal or taking their kids to school one day so they could sleep in. Um, or it's, you know, taking, um, taking them to some other function. Um, it's encouraging them with Bible verses. I had one friend who sent me a card with scripture every month for two years. Wow. And I can't tell you how much that inspired me. And, and I kind of looked forward to it. You know, it was <laughs> something that, and, and she would say, I went down to the cemetery today, like on my son's birthday um, or the accident date. And she would say, I went to the cemetery today and I prayed for you and your family. And, you know, that just really, really touched me. And, yeah. and especially after that one month mark, that's when um, I really encourage people to step in because at one month, people leave and, and all of a sudden you're left alone typically yeah. often in my case I was I was left alone and and other than my friends obviously I had friends and so those people stepped in but you know that's where it gets harder is after the month period I had another friend who every week she had me over Shannon and I over for dinner on a Wednesday night for you know for a year and another one who invited me at the Valentine's Day, the Mother's Day, all of those days, she invited me over for dinner or she left soup at my door. You know? mm. And so, um, yeah, there's so much you can do. 
but just, you know, stay in and, and ask the person. You can ask the person, what do you need? And often they won't know what they need because right. they're too overwhelmed. So, but, wow. but don't give up with that as a friend. And pray, obviously pray for them. Of course. Wow. So much, so much to learn. Uh, Trish, thank you for spending some time with us today. The book is called King Here, and it's a remarkable story of God's grace, even through unbelievable tragedy and, and heartache. And so thank you so much for, for sharing that with us. Where can folks find a copy of the book? At, um, at Amazon, Barnes and Nobles, and it is on audiobook also. Um, and you can go to my website. So at trishportertopmiller.com. Trishportertopmiller.com. Trish, thank you so much. Um, and uh, the, uh, once again, the, the book is called King Here. And until next time, this is John Graham bringing you The Culture Connection. Mm-hmm.